0: As we continue our study of Deuteronomy, Moses, the great prophet of the Jews, is going to reveal something we can do with money that will generate the greatest satisfaction. Our study leader Dave Wordson shares an incredible thing that his brother Don and his wife Karen did for him in the early years of his pastorate. It gives some powerful insight into what Jesus taught. It is more blessed to give than to receive. One of the things that should be happening among the family of God is you hear of a brother or sister that has a need, and you know they're really struggling, you give to that need. Many of you do it anonymously so that your left in doesn't know what your right hand is doing. And somebody gets something in the mail that releases them from a tremendous pressure a burden. You know, that's one of the greatest kicks in the Christian life to be able to do that because you're your brother. When Mary and I were just starting out, in fact, when we first moved to Midlothian, we were living over an overlook which had been graciously provided for us. and the Lord, But our family was growing and we were producing kids. And a lot of you came and said, you know, hey, why don't you build a house? And uh, we needed several thousand dollars to be able to buy a lot, a lot less than you need now. But for us, it was an insurmountable load in trying to go through seminary. My older brother Don came to me and he said, Dave, I'm going to loan you the money. I'll loan you the money to be able to get that lot. And that's how Mir and I were able to buy the acre of land where our house is right now. And I started slowly but surely paying back my brother. Don and Karen came over to visit us. And uh, they took us out to a restaurant, and we had a great meal together the way brothers and sisters and family members can have. At the end of the meal, you know, we put our knives and forks down. The waitress took the plates away. And Don and Karen looked at Mary and I, and they, they said, Dave and Mary, we've been talking, and we just want you to know that the money that you owe us for the land is canceled. We just want to give it to you. That's what Deuteronomy 15 is talking about. I hate my brother for doing that. (laughs) I mean, he didn't give me the opportunity to work and to earn it myself. You know, that's the way some of you feel. It's really hard for you to receive. And if it's really hard for you to receive, then it's really hard for you to give. Deuteronomy 15 needs to come into your heart because Deuteronomy 15 is not about fairness. Some of you are falling deeper, deeper, and deeper into I'm going to make it happen myself. I will not be dependent upon anybody. And therefore, you're going to miss the great privilege of being able to give love. And as the years have gone by, there's been times when Mary and I have been on the receiving end of those canceling of debts. There's also been times when we've been on the giving side of those canceling of debts. And I want every one of you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, not to miss those opportunities. And that's the spirit of what was happening in old Israel. And notice what it says. It says, if you'll be obedient to my word, it says here, if you fully obey, in verse 5, if you fully obey the Lord your God and are able to follow all these commands I'm giving you, it tells us in verse 4 that there won't be any poor people. Now that's always an ideal. But I want you to notice this connection. It's a very powerful connection. The connection is this. There is a connection between morality in following the right and wrong of the word of God and prosperity economically. Proverbs says that over and over again. If you follow the principles that God lays out for us in his word, there is a connection between that right and and economic prosperity. Economics is not just math. It's not just impersonal forces. The Bible is getting across to you as a follower of your Father in Heaven that He is superintending things, and ultimately there is a connection between what is morally right and what brings prosperity. And that's why Moses would tell his people, ideally, if you and Israel would follow my commands, if you'd build your culture on the principle of Deuteronomy, there won't be poor people in the land. Later on in the chapter, he's going to tell us in verse 11, I therefore I command you, there will always be poor people in the land. I heard of an incredible idea on the radio. There's a group of believers that have gotten together a mailing list, and they're, they're all united. You've got to prove that you are a born-again believer. You have to have a letter from a pastor and somebody else in your church that will vouch for you. And you sign up, and every month you send so much money to this organization. When you have the medical bill, you send that in to this organization that you've been sending the money to. It's composed of all believers And then they contact your church, and your pastor and some of the leaders in that church have to confirm that this is a legitimate medical need. Then you have to send the medical bill when it comes to this organization. And then a letter goes out, and the money comes to meet that need from all your fellow believers that have been giving. What an expression of what's going on in Deuteronomy. What expression of this idea of really being brothers and sisters in the family of God. We have moved towards the idea since the New Deal that the government's the one that takes care of us. The government's the one that takes our need. People line up by the United States government building. In the word of God, God's people should be the ones that take care of one another. And people caring for people used to be the way that we met the needs of those that were needy. We moved powerfully away from that. Now, I'm once again, because of the balance of God's Word, I'm not saying that all unity and all corporate group activity in a government to meet needs is wrong. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that I think we need to be very, very careful that we don't think that we can give impersonal dollars that I can just write a check at my desk to Uncle Sam and not give to flesh-and-blood people that I can see that are right there in the roads of my life that confront me. And rapidly, our culture is moving in. I'm going to write a check. And what happens when you move towards a depersonalization of meeting needs and there's no living color, flesh-and-blood person in front of you, funds begin to be wasted. Could it take an incredible bureaucracy to handle all the red tape that's entailed in organizing gigantic programs? As God's people, we need to realize that God built into this system a need to be gracious. Sometimes there's a need to realize that some young person or some sick person just is not going to be able to meet that need. And you just cancel the debt. Sometimes you have the resource, you just go and you anonymously take care of that debt. Now you say, well Dave, that means if everyone knew that every seven years the debt was going to be canceled, like you said earlier in this talk together, that in the sixth or fifth year, people would say, man, I'm not going to give, man, I'm going to lose all my money. That's why the Lord Lord cautioned them in verse 7. If there is a poor man among you, your brothers in any of the towns the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. That's a very insightful verse. We need to be very careful that we don't become hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward our poor brother. Rather, we need to be open-handed. I want you to see the powerful metaphors. You have a tight-fisted person, you can picture them holding on to their dollars, versus an open-handed person that lets the money flow out to those in need. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show... So that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Instead, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and everything you put your hand to do. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open handed toward your brother and toward the poor, the needy in the land. The Lord is telling us this, that even if we know that a person is not going to be able to repay us, we need to be willing to open our hand. And I want you to be strongly encouraged. This was a deal where a person that had wealth could easily say, this is not going to be a good business venture. This is not really going to be a way to meet needs. I'm going to to lose all the money. And the Lord is saying, remember where your money comes from. Now I'm really speaking very strongly to my own heart as well as to your own heart. Because it's a very subtle thing that starts to happen in our heart where we start to think that we generate wealth. And, and it produces a tremendous strain upon you. I know the reality of some of your hearts. You are laboring under a tremendous load. Some of you dads are laboring under a tremendous load because you feel like you're a slave to your work. You feel like you don't have any control over it. And you're incredibly fearful because you feel if you you ever lost what you have now, which many of our men and women in our church family have lost their livelihood just recently. And it hurts you and it destroys your confidence. And the Lord gives us a great concept in this whole chapter. is saying, I'm the one that provides for you. I'm the one that that feeds the birds like the Lord said in Matthew chapter 6. I'm the one that causes trees to grow. You can't even add one second to your life. All of our lives are totally in the hands of the Lord. The Lord wants us to be able to put our head on our pillow at night and He wants husbands not to feel like this whole family depends upon me. Some of you husbands resent it when your wife goes out and buys groceries. Some of, you, some of you as families have decided your wife, during the time that the children are young, your wife is going to stay home. And yet, you know, you have, you have virtually caused her to feel like a useless slave. Because every time she spends money, because you're tight... Because you're uptight about whether or not you're going to have enough. And and I know as well as any of you what it's like to have that pile of about 20 bills on your desk and you just don't know how you're going to be able to make them all work out. And for some of you it translates into little cutting remarks. Do you need that much for groceries? And one wife after another begins to feel like I'm useless. I can't do anything. In fact, we're moving into very powerful feelings among men in our culture. If a woman is not out there earning equal pay, then something's wrong. The Bible's not teaching that a woman should never work. Lydia was a worker. Lydia evidently had a very prosperous business. Priscilla and Aquila in the Corinthian church worked together. But we need to be very careful of this idea that you earn your way and I earn my way. And we're both in this 50-50. Because the Lord is saying that He's the one that provides for us. And the Lord is saying that in our family life, if we line up our priorities the way that the Lord wants us, and there's lots of room for balance in that, There's lots of different creative things in our culture right now where there's lots of jobs that can be done at home. There's lots of ways that you can do many different things to meet your need. But the scripture is saying that we need to be very careful about this attitude inside that becomes tight-fisted and begrudging. I'm very exercised about this because there's many, many wives who feel totally zero because they're cleaning bathrooms, and they're vacuuming rooms, and they're taking care of screaming kids. And their husband makes them feel like, man, you don't do a blessed thing. Man, I work all the time. I remember a day when I did a wedding ceremony when the vow of the husband was, I will provide for your needs. That's what I vowed when I was 20. What did you guys vow? What did you guys vow? And we are moving into a culture where guys are not willing to do that. Now, there can be extraneous situations where someone becomes ill, where somewhere where a man becomes incapacitated, and God will bring abilities and blessing. But let's not forget God's general patterns. And some of you guys that want to share with you, some of you guys that are out there, and you get up early in the morning, and you go to work, and you put in hard work, And you bring home that check. I want that to build your manhood. I want you to feel great about that. That's what it means to be a man. It's one of the things that it means. And to be able to bring that check and give it to your family is an act of gracious love. It's a good thing. That's a holy thing. And some of your deepest confidence as a man, when you stand before the Lord, the Lord's going to say you took care of your family. You're a good man. That's a good thing. Don't fall into the trap of, of worry and stress. Do the best you can. And then relax and let the Lord work. That's what this whole chapter has a feel of. You say, well, Dave, what happens if the worst comes to worst? In the ancient world, the worst thing that could happen is you get sold into slavery. In other words, you get so far in debt. In our culture, if you get so far in debt, you just, you just yell, "Ali ali home free, and you just... Get rid of your debt. (laughs) Now, in some way, that's a little bit better than debtor's prison. But if you're on the short end of the stick, and I want to, I deeply appreciate some of you that have made some really hard choices not to do that. I want to be really tender with you, and I want you to know how much we love you. Because I know some of you have made choices where all your buddies and all of your friends just canceled the debts. And some of you said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And some of you have agonized for years to be a person, a man and woman in your family of integrity. And you're paying back all of those bills, and God bless you for that. In the ancient world, you could be sold into slavery. This next paragraph talks about this. It says, if a fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. You know what the Lord is saying? A lot of people have said, well, you can use the Bible to prove that slavery in the American culture was right. I want to share with you a little difference That's very evident between the slavery that was talked about in the book of Deuteronomy. God never condones this practice, but he does control it. First of all, I want you to notice that the whole thrust of this passage is we do not have a slave class. Now listen to me really carefully because we're going to get down deep into emotional structures. And sometimes when we do this, some of you can turn me off before you even hear me. We really need to understand that there can be a deep-seated attitude in our heart that somebody else that's different than us is in another class than us. doesn't have to be related to color of skin, although many times it is. And we develop in our mind that this entire class of people is inferior. In fact, the next step is to say they're not only inferior, but they are not human beings. In American slavery, what, what would the, the, the heinous tragedy of American slavery was that an entire population of people believed that another group of God's children, of those who were made in His image, were not human. And I don't speak that to you from a distance, because I was from New York, but I went to high school in the deep, deep South. And I was taught strongly against the way I was raised as a kid. My dad would have red and yellow, black and white. I didn't even know there were differences in colors with people until I went to the Deep South. But I know what it's like to be raised, not in Texas, which is moving to the West, but in the Deep South. I know what it's like to have roommates that really believed black people were just animals. Animals. And that created a slave mentality class. There was a group of people that were less than human, and therefore it was all right to treat them like animals. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 15 says we must never, never, never treat any human being as less than men in the image of God. You see what it's saying? In the Hebrew culture, if you became indebted to somebody and you sold yourself to them, They could only work you for six years. The seventh year, you went free. Which means that during the six years, you could not treat them as a slave. You could not develop a population that was called the slave class, less than human. In the ancient world, you would become a slave for your indebtedness, but in Israel, every seven years, you had to be let go, and you could go free. And what it did was it it stopped any development of a group of people that would be lowered down on the economic strata so they could never get out. And we were to declare their freedom. Notice it says when they were declared free that you had to give to them bountifully. And it says you need to remember in this text, remember what it was like when you were delivered from the exodus. Remember when the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt? And for 400 years, they, they labored under the lash. When God set them free, he didn't just take them out in the wilderness without anything. He had the Egyptians shower them with gifts. Some of you might have had the privilege of watching the Civil War serial, serial on uh, the videos that are on public television. That with Foot, the incredible American historian. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to see that. It will make the Civil War come alive in your heart. It will help you understand so many of the forces that are still at work in our country. But one of the great tragedies of the emancipation of the slaves in our own culture is that the Declaration of Freedom was made, but especially when President Lincoln was gunned down. The slaves were set free, only to be brought back into many ways a worse form of slavery. And unlike what Deuteronomy commands here, where our hearts have really changed, the death of 600,000 men did not really change hearts. And it's, it's still powerful in our culture, both on the black side and on the white side. And it goes into feelings towards anybody that's different than us. And the Lord is calling us to allow a love to come into our hearts that when someone that's destitute, that becomes beholden to us, we not only set them free, but we set them free with bountiful gifts so that they don't just fall into a worse kind of slavery, but they can go out and they can prosper. Some of you moms and dads, God has blessed you. God has prospered you. And you've been able to send your kids out and you've been able to say as your mom and dad, we want to give you a blessing. And you've given your kids a substantial gift. You've set them free. And you've given them a substantial gift to get started. Now, how they use it and whether or not they follow God's design is up to them. Some of you say, well, Dave, God hasn't blessed me like that, but I was able to give a lot of other blessings. A lot. I've been able to teach a lot of other skills of working hard and discipline. And all of that is a blessing. But this chapter comes right into our soul and it says beware of having an attitude in your heart that you're superior to someone else. You say, Dave, how do you make decisions about how you give and how you're generous? You ask yourself, if I was that person, what would I need? What would bring a blessing? And you open your hands. It's a totally different lifestyle. You know, you say, Dave, why in the New Testament should we live that kind of a life? As we close today... You know, all of us are slaves. We're slaves in the worst way imaginable, even worse than what happened in the, just before the Civil War in the United States. Every one of us in the New Testament says are a slave to our sin. We are dead and a servant. We are under this horrible master of having to do wrong when we know to do right. The Son of God graciously comes to us And he comes to us in the slave market of sin. And he looks at us being sold in that slave market, whipped and beaten up by the evil one, by the adversary. And the Son of God takes off his aristocratic clothes, his beautiful robes, he takes off all of his beautiful rings. He takes off all the paraphernalia of royalty, and he climbs up on the slave block, And he tells us to get down because we're free and to walk out into freedom. And he's sold for us. And he takes the lash for us. He takes the payment for our sin. And that's why the New Testament, the New Covenant, used the imagery of slavery to talk about the incredible emancipation. I told you we'd talk about debtors, slavery, and freedom. Every one of us have a debt that we can never pay. It's the debt of our sin. Every one of us are enslaved to those passions and we can never get free in our own strength. But amazing grace comes to us and Jesus says, I'm gonna pay the debt that I don't owe. And I'm gonna give my life to pay the debt that you'll never be able to pay. And he sets us free. Now, how does that work out in a real life? It works out in our life this week by we never look at another human being and treat them less than human. what 's wrong with abortion? Abortion is all changing words, and what our culture has done is we change, just like before the Civil War. A black person before the Civil War in certain circles was viewed to be an animal less than human. Therefore, you could develop a whole powerful, even religious justification for slavery because God created them like that. That was wrong. It's totally unbiblical. Genesis chapter 1 says the whole human... Genesis chapter 1 and 2 says all the human race was created in his image, in the image of God. But when you are able to lower in your mind someone's identity as being less than human... It's just a short step to being able to hurt them, being able to use them, being able to kill them. In abortion, we've said that a little baby developing in the womb of a mother is less than a person. It's just part of a woman's body, and she can do with it whatever she wants to do. The book of Exodus, the same Mosaic law, said that if you, a lot of you women are carrying babies. The book of Exodus says that if if somehow you are out there in the marketplace, and maybe there was a brawl, maybe you went to a football game like Mary and I went to when Jonathan was supposed to be born, we went to a Texas-Oklahoma game. And let's suppose that when Mary was due to have Jonathan, we got in a fight between the Longhorns and the Sooners. And Mary got really hit hard in the stomach. And she miscarried. We had a rush to bail her, and Jonathan wasn't born because she got hurt. You know what the Old Testament law said? It said if Mary got hurt like that and lost her baby, that the person that did that to her would be tried for murder. And it tells you exactly what the Old Testament and the New Testament says about the life within the womb. You can't be more clear than that. The Bible's very clear on it's a life. So we need to be very careful not to demean these things and not to, not to lower our definitions of what people are. Instead, the Scripture says that we're all slaves, but we can all be set free in Christ.